It's time to think differently about healthcare, but how do we keep up? The days of yesterday's medicine are long gone, and we're left trying to figure out where to go from here. With all the talk about politics and technology, it can be easy to forget that healthcare is still all about humans. And many of those humans have unbelievable stories to tell. Here, we leave the policy debates to the other guys and focus instead on the people and ideas that are changing the way we address our health. It's time to navigate the new landscape of healthcare together and hear some amazing stories along the way. Ready for a breath of fresh air? It's time for your Paradigm Shift. Welcome to the Paradigm Shift of Healthcare, and thank you for listening. I'm Michael Roberts here today with my co-host, Scott Zeitzer. This show is focused on the many ways healthcare is changing and how the consumerization of healthcare is affecting practices. And we talk about this topic on a regular basis at p3practicemarketing.com, and we invite you to be a part of that conversation. Today, we're talking about why physicians should be taught about entrepreneurship. And our guest is Dr. Arlen Myers. He's the president and CEO of the Society of Physician Entrepreneurs and a professor emeritus of many things. I'm not going to even get into all the different things <laughs> that's out of fear of saying them incorrectly. Autolaryngology. See, there See, I go. And go. engineering. What kind of engineering, Doc? It's biomedical engineering, and I can get into the weeds, but basically we invented a gadget. Okay. I'm a biomedical engineer by uh, training oh, good. Uh, yeah. from Tulane, yeah. so uh, right. I had to ask. Well, I, don't, I, yeah, I just play one on TV. I'm, there not, we go. I'm not an engineer, <laughs> It's like, oh, no, I'm, I'm quickly going to be excluded from this conversation because I have no degree or, or nothing in that side of things. So, Dr. Myers, thank you so much for coming on the show. We've already been talking some before we started recording just about the difference in, in medical practice management versus medical practice entrepreneurship and uh, how transformative the thinking of entrepreneurship really needs to be instead of just squeezing a more efficiency out of something really rethinking a whole model. It's really interesting that you bring that up because we've actually been in, in conversation with somebody that is actually going through that process of thinking how he wants to set up his practice. And he has a lot of ideals and it's not copy the model of everybody else. It's it's what right. can I do to really, really come at it from a different way. As we're jumping into the conversation, can you just give us a quick two minute rundown of your background and, and Right. particularly how you became invested interested in the concept of physician entrepreneurship. So the short version is I spent 40 years as a clinical surgeon at the University of Colorado, and I still am. I don't practice medicine anymore. And in the course of that, myself and several other people invented a gadget. So I'm an ear, nose and throat surgeon. My subspecialty was oral cancer. And we invented a gadget that optically detects cancer. That led to a realization of fundamentally three things. One, that um, everybody in a white coat thinks they have a good idea. Uh, two, they don't. Most of it, I mean, it, it may be a basic science, you know, there's nothing against basic science, but in terms of commercializing it or actually getting it in the hands of a patient, it's probably not a good idea. And third, even if it were a good idea, they wouldn't know what to do with it because you're not taught it in medical school or anything else you get when you're trying to get into medical school including me, when it happened to me. And fourth, no one was going to teach you. So mm -hmm. that's why we created the Society of Physician Entrepreneurs. And that's why I decided to kind of make a mid-career pivot, and mid-be meaning in my 60s, mm -hmm. to pursue healthcare innovation and entrepreneurship at a different level. That's great. So you've got the Society of Physician Entrepreneurs. What is it that the society does to really help further these goals? And how does it really like encourage right. the physicians to go down that path? So the problems that we're trying to solve are the ones that I just listed. Mm -hmm. And so therefore, the Society of Physician Entrepreneurs is a nonprofit 
International Biomedical and Clinical Innovation and Entrepreneurship Network. Our mission is to help our members get their ideas to patients. And we do that through an international chapter network that provides education, resources, networks, mentors, experience, peer-to-peer support, and non-clinical career guidance. And I believe, yeah, you never say you're the best or the biggest or the largest or whatever, but it's a pretty big network. And we've been doing this now for about 10 years. So we've okay. gotten to be a fair size and, uh, you know, it's taken us about 10 or 11 years to be famous overnight. Yeah, it's, it's something that really needs to be done. I've got one son who's in medical school right now, and it's basically the same way he probably you were taught, I'm exactly. guessing. Right. Things are changing and we're trying to be part of that initiative. And we're very involved in changing or trying to change medical education. Yeah, I I think it's important. I kind of wanted to get your angle on that. I know I speak to a lot of uh, surgeons and when they're just getting started, none of them have any real background, any idea about what the business of medicine is. And they're so frustrated by the lack of information that they've been provided. These are all very bright people. They were top of their class. You know, they had to get A's to get into med school. Yeah. So we're changing that. And I can give you several examples, actually, of medical schools, both osteopathic and allopathic. There are about 200 medical schools in the country. Very, very few of them teach the business of medicine, innovation, entrepreneurship, data science, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm part of a group that is changing that. So there's several, we're beginning to see cracks in the armor. I'm happy to to hear that. I really am. Yeah, we're beginning to see several schools. And I can give you several examples, including my school. University of Colorado, where for the first time, now I've been at this for a while, and actually I'm scheduled to teach an elective, which is a start, it's not mandatory, to first-year medical students in healthcare innovation and entrepreneurship. I kind of wanted to get everybody caught up. You shared a Klaus Schwab's a set of recommendations for the fourth industrial revolution. And, and I, I wanted to go through that with you. So the first one was focus on systems. Right. Instead of uh, technology. So let's kind of dive into that. All right. So sick care, and I call it sick care because we're spending about $4 trillion, and 96% of that is on taking care of sick people. So we don't have a health care system. It mass, we have a sick care, yeah. sick, sick care system of systems. And it yeah. masquerades as a health care system. You're right. But it's not a healthcare system. And guess what? The OECD ranks us last in industrialized countries out of 12 in terms of healthcare systems. For that reason, when it's inequitable, you get care if you have money. Now, the interesting thing is that a similar group that ranks global entrepreneurship environments ranks us first. So the question is if we're so good at entrepreneurship, How come our system sucks? And that's one of the issues that we're trying to tackle. And there's, I have several reasons, but one of them is because we don't adopt an entrepreneurial mindset to medicine. It's a culture of conformity. It's not a culture of creativity. 
There's no doubt about that. I made mention again uh, that you went to med school, I am guessing, uh, quite a bit earlier than my son, who's in med school now. And it's a very similar setup. You know, it's like, hey, man, you know, the first couple of years, you're going to learn the basics. Then you're going to go follow some people around for a couple of years. And then you're going to go do your residency program and see one, do one, teach one. Right. Right. There's several fundamental flaws with the present medical school business model. Oh, yeah. And one of them is who and how we accept medical students. And the second is the toxic culture of medical education, which discourages creativity, innovation, imagination. It's a culture of conformity. Now, by its nature, it is risk averse. And that's okay. We're talking about people. But it's cruel and unusual punishment to say, we're going to pay you for value, doctor, but we're not going to teach you how to create it. Right. Yeah, it's, it's a very, very valid point. You know, one of the things was uh, mentioned in this uh, by Klaus was a focus on key values as a feature of new right. technologies rather than a bug. I wanted you to talk a little bit about that because right. that's a kind of a, I found that to be a really good point. So a couple of points, and these are just my opinions. A nation's healthcare system is a reflection of its values. So you can't compare the healthcare system of England, France, Germany, Singapore, Japan with the United States because their values are different than the United States. Number two, the values issue comes up a lot in artificial intelligence. And this gets into the fourth industrial revolution. It's like the biggest buzzword now. And what are we going to do with artificial intelligence? Well, there's a lot of conversation about the future of work, the future of the impact of the technology just on human beings, the future of security, confidentiality, replacing people, hacking, you name it. That's a conversation, ethics, professionalism, that's a conversation about values. So you have to set the guardrails And that's what's going on at this very moment. People are trying to figure out what should be in the AI code of ethics. And we don't know. Eventually, we'll get there. It won't be the final word. But we're trying to figure that out. And what should patients know about an AI patient bill of rights? That reflects values. So we have to have that conversation. It's not about the technology. It's about its impact on society. Right. And, and how it's used and how it's used. All right. Yeah. Yeah. I agree wholeheartedly. Michael had and I had mentioned to you before we got on that there is a uh, surgeon who is just starting a practice for the very first time. And he's like he wants to do it differently, but he doesn't know how to do it differently. And, right. you know, I will be pointing him to this conversation and the society as a whole. Yeah. He's very interested in that. And you mentioned a little bit and I had these conversations with a lot of our surgeons that we work with about value versus volume. And you had mentioned like, and I always talk about this, like when in the old days you put your shingle out and you just kind of put your head down and you just had this huge volume of people because people really just needed you. And now, you know, there's a lot of data out there about who you are, what you're about, how you're processing and rightfully so, and how we interpret that data and how a physician can take advantage of that and help their patients better. Because it's it's not just about outflanking somebody. It's about how do you take right. better care of your patients? Right. The problem with that, though, is at this stage of the game, 
everybody's talking up value-based care. The reality is the large majority of docs get paid on fee-for-service. Yep. So while you got to make a living doing fee-for-service, everybody's ramming value down your throat. So the question is, how do you balance the transition? How do you, I mean, I think most of us are understanding that gradually this is going to happen, but what do you do in the meantime? Because you got to make a living through fee-for-service. Right. So I call this one foot in the boat and one foot on the dock. And I mean the dock. And how do you negotiate that water, number one, through medical practice entrepreneurship? Number two, as you know better than, I mean, I, you know, the vast majority of medical students now have no interest in going into private practice. Zero. Now, I think actually that's going to change. Because I think people are sort of figuring, well, you know, I tried working for the man and that didn't work out so well. Yeah. The problem is they didn't have any training or experience in private practice after they worked for this enormous integrated delivery network. And seven years out, now they're deciding, I quit, I'm going to go into private practice, but I have no clue. And actually, I'm interested in your piece, but it seems to me that actually there's a backlash and that people who were in employed physician positions like myself, I mean, I did that for most of my career, are now figuring, nah, grass is greener, I'm bailing, I'm going into private practice, or I'm going into a non-clinical career. Yeah. And that's a whole nother line of conversation. It really is. It could be an entire conversation on that. Hey, it's Michael here with your P3 Pro Tip for the week. When was the last time you checked how your website functions on mobile? With the medical practice websites we manage, we see an average of 40 to 60% of traffic coming from mobile devices. That's a significant portion of traffic. However, if your website is slow or difficult to use on a mobile device, then you may be losing out on potential new patients. Furthermore, Google considers mobile usability when ranking sites for searches from mobile devices. That makes it harder to get in front of the ever-increasing population that primarily uses a mobile device to go online. If your site isn't mobile-friendly, be sure to address that with your web developer as soon as possible. Whenever a surgeon comes to me, because we deal mostly with orthopedic spine and neurosurgeons, and they tell me like, hey man, I'm going to go work for blah, 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 whoever that is, right? Some large hospital, etc. I always tell them that your name is your brand and protect it. Because three years later, you might be going, this is the best decision I ever made in my life. I don't want to worry about how I get patients. All I want to do is see patients, take good care of them, and go home and hug my kids. Nothing wrong with that. That's awesome. The other side of the coin is is that, as with most surgeons, and I say this with love because most of my surgeons are some of my best friends, surgeons tend to have fairly large egos, and you need them. You have a scalpel in your hand. And After a year or two of being told exactly what to do, how to do it, and when to do it with no explanations as to why, it kind of rubs a lot of surgeons the wrong way. And now we come back to what you were saying. It's like, okay, they want to go back on their own. And I know a lot of surgeons who are going back and they're getting MBAs. They're taking some courses. I know some of the, uh, because the med schools aren't doing it, I'm happy to hear that you're working with med schools to get that done. But there are post- med school, residency, et cetera, ways to get some more information through societies, et cetera, that I think it's critical that uh, people need to get some baseline tools on on how to, you know, run a business. You know, the key issue, actually, education is the least important part of learning how to do this. 
You can do it on nights and weekends. You can download stuff like this. You can, you don't have to get an MBA. In fact, it's a whole other conversation. But I think MD MBAs and MBAs are stupid. But that's a whole. And, and you have one. And I well, not only that, I helped create the MD MBA program <laughs> in Colorado. So there's nothing worse than a reform center. So I'm saying that the biggest problem that I see is number one. What got you to where you are won't get you to where you want to go when it comes to entrepreneurship. I don't care how many letters you have after you. And number two, you have to come down off the mountain. You simply don't know what you don't know when it comes to medical practice entrepreneurship. You don't have the knowledge, skills, abilities, and competencies. The clinical mindset is very different than the entrepreneurial mindset. So you need to kind of like be more humble and accept the fact that you need to learn how to do this and you need to change your mindset. That's the single biggest important thing. Innovation starts with mindset. That was one of the interesting things I found in one of the articles that we were reviewing and prep for this. You had mentioned that one of the key differences is the ability for the entrepreneurial physician to spot new problems and to spot different kinds of problems than the physician that's just kind of right. going through and just and finishing out right. the day. I, you know, kind of relating that back to some of what we dug into with the fourth industrial revolution. So here's a physician that's aware. Now this physician has his mind, his or her mind open to, hey, I need right. to spot these new problems and go solve these things. Right. What do they do in a small practice to take advantage of this fourth industrial revolution to really change things? Well, again, it starts with being a problem seeker, not a problem solver. That's part of the entrepreneurial mindset. That's part of design thinking. That's part of understanding the stakeholder. Because, and again, let me just mention that a big misconception is that, in my view again, that entrepreneurship is not just about creating a company. My definition of entrepreneurship is the pursuit of opportunity under volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous so-called VUCA conditions. But the important part is the goal is to create stakeholder or user-defined value through the deployment of innovation using a viable or what I call a vast business model. One way to do that is to create a company. You're a technopreneur. That's what I did when I did the gadget thing. But there's a million other ways to do this. So if you're in private practice, it starts with understanding who is your customer. That could be a number of people, family members, patients, you know, payers, the whole list of, of the P's, of the stakeholders. So you have to understand what is their problem you're trying to solve. It's not graduate last in your class, hang a shingle, show up, and get paid for effort. That's the old model. The new model is you are starting a startup and we're calling it a private practice. Now let's look at this differently. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, we're talking about this very much from, just to kind of go down this path of what you're talking about in terms of you don't necessarily have to start a new company. We've talked some about really focusing on the small practice, but what room for entrepreneurship is there in the large health system for the physician that's in that spot? There's an enormous opportunity, and it's called intrapreneurship. So you are an employed physician, and for the reasons we mentioned, because more and more doctors are employed than independent, and it's continuing to grow. Frankly, I think it's going to flatten out, like I said, but that's another conversation. So if you are a 
an employed physician, I don't care whether it's for the Mayo Clinic or the University of whatever or some other organization, as an entrepreneur, a definition, you are an employed physician and you are being paid in part to add value to your organization. It's one of the stakeholders. And oh, by the way, if you don't do that, they'll fire you. And I don't care whether you're tenured, if you don't make the numbers and add value, you're gone. Nobody has job security. Yeah. Especially yeah. during COVID. And guess what? You know, people are quitting because they're rethinking the whole. Th- I don't care whether it's restaurants, retail, or healthcare. People yeah. are rethinking the whole business. So that's what you have to do as an entrepreneur. Now, again, we can get into a whole conversation about the differences between outside entrepreneurship and intrapreneurship. But the headline is intrapreneurship, in my view, is actually harder than outside entrepreneurship because not only do you have to deal with all the entrepreneurship issues, getting an idea to a patient or a stakeholder, but you have to deal with the culture, the internal culture that will stomp you like a grape as soon as they detect anything that is disruptive. Mm. And they will call you a disruptive physician. It's not that you're disruptive and you're pissing patients off or you're throwing stuff at the scrub nurse. You're trying to disrupt the business model and they're getting paid to keep it exactly the way it is. That's the hard part. So there's all kinds of entrepreneurship, survival skills, guerrilla tactics, political savvy, all kinds of stuff. And that's part of the education we're trying to include in the medical school curriculum. And, and I will say that as we're, we're talking for our listeners here, it, you know, you find Dr. Myers online, uh, find him on LinkedIn is where I've, I've found him first. And there's just a ton of materials that, that you've already contributed to these very ideas and really explored them in depth. We've had the opportunity to talk with a number of physicians that are redefining things and they are in a variety of settings. And so I really like this concept of really bringing out the core component is problem seeking, not problem solving. I, I love that because that level of creativity and that level of, it's not even necessarily like creativity. I think it's just awareness and it's the ability to observe and really drill right. in. So yeah. I think people get scared of terms like creativity sometimes. And so if somebody hears that, they go, well, I'm not that, but we can all be observant for sure. Right. Well, they're not scared of it. They're just smart. Like medical students, when you interview them or pre-meds, when you interview them to get into medical school, the last thing in the world they're going to tell you is, I don't want to be a doctor. I just want to get the MD to get credibility. I want to start a biotech company or a blank. And I have no intention of seeing patients. You really think a person's going to tell you that? No. Any creative is going to hide it. And I tell people, In this world, until it significantly changes, innovate your heart out. Just don't tell anybody you're doing it. (laughs) It's a very valuable insight. I know that when my son was looking to get into med school, he was very much into looking into what he wanted to do, how he wanted to get it done and thinking a lot of things. But he kind of kept everything inside because he just wanted to get in and he just wanted to talk about like, Right. How he wanted to be a great doctor and, and it, he's in an osteopathic school and they were really talking about the need for more family doctors out there, more GPs, et cetera. And he had a lot of head nodding, et cetera. And, and you know, maybe one day he will be one. I, I don't know. But you're right. 
it's designed to get into med school is designed in such a way where you have to conform in order to get in. Creativity is not really looked upon as on a high level. So I call that the hidden entrepreneur. There you go. Okay. And incidentally, to the point, myself and several others are actually working with an osteop, a brand new white paper, white space osteopathic medical school that is being created. And we're totally rethinking the curriculum to include everything we've been talking about. Uh, That sounds so exciting. It really does. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I think it's one of those things where, you know, we're talking about lots of different layers here. And I do think everybody needs to take a step back. There's nothing wrong with saying that this country's healthcare system needs improvement. There are a lot of people like, wait, we're the best and all that other stuff. It's like, that's great, man. And I'm a very, very proud American. That being said, we are not the best. There's some things we do great, but there are a lot of things that we could do better. And I'm really happy to see that they're like you and there are a lot of other people who are looking to figure out how to get that done. Well, nobody likes to have their baby called ugly, but (laughs) you know what? It's part of the entrepreneurial mindset. We're going to wrap up for today, but uh, Dr. Myers, is there anything that you would like, I guess, leave our listeners with to think about in terms of what next steps could look like for starting down this pathway? So I think it's important. You know, why is this important? Why are we even talking about this? Yeah. And to me, there's kind of three basic, I mean, a whole bunch of reasons, but I would highlight three of them. One, I think entrepreneurship makes better doctors. I think, in contrary, I think doctors make better entrepreneurship. You know, you always hear doctors are lousy business people. No, they're not. That's a total myth. That's ridiculous. And we all know doctors who are phenomenal at creating value and are multimillionaires because they've done it correctly, ethically. Number two, I think it makes better patients. I think that that the patients, if you just look at creative destruction and how it makes better markets, the same thing is applies to physician entrepreneurship. Patients get smarter because doctors and physician entrepreneurs are offering transparency and pricing, alternative business models, stuff you can understand, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And number three, I think that physician entrepreneurship is a tool to restore the joy in medicine. I call it the lost tribe of medicine. Docs are pissed off. I don't need to tell you. They're fed up. They're leaving. They're not happy, they're grumpy, and grumpy doctors make grumpy patients, and it makes dangerous doctors. Statistically, it's a fact. If you're unhappy as a doctor, you're more likely to make bad decisions and technical errors. I know that personally. So I think it improves or can contribute to the joy of medicine whether you're in clinical practice or whether you're in a non-clinical career role, it just makes you happier. So, and I think that's a problem we have now that needs to be solved. Yeah, so that dissatisfaction, turning that into something and, and doing something about it instead of just sitting in that spot. So for everybody that's listening, this is Dr. Arlen Myers. Check him out on LinkedIn's where I found him. Also check out the Society of Physician Entrepreneurs Dr. Myers, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate digging into this. We, we, this is definitely a topic that we're, we're very excited about as well. So thank yeah, you. Yeah, we're just, obviously, we're just scratching the surface. So if for you sure. want me back to talk some more, I'm happy to do it. We'll take uh, you up awesome. on that. Uh, thank, you, <laughs> thank you so All much. Right. Take care. 
Thanks again for tuning in to the Paradigm Shift of Healthcare. This program is brought to you by Health Connective, custom marketing solutions for medtech and pharma. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Thank you.